This season of DDX is brought to you by Ultragenics Pharmaceutical Corporation. A 34-year-old man presents with weakness, and he's been getting progressively worse, to the point of needing a walker to get around, and now a wheelchair. Then he started having unexplained fractures. This is DDX, a podcast from Figure One about how doctors think. This season is all about rare diseases. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwaj. Today's case comes from Dr. Suzanne Jondeber, who we heard from in episode one of this season. Dr. Jondeber has been compensated by Figure One for her participation in this episode. I am a metabolic bone physician. I'm at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, where I am an associate professor of medicine. Dr. John DeBurr was not the first doctor who had cared for this previously active, healthy man. It had begun about five years before I saw him. He was doing great in his career. Career was going great guns. You know, doing all things people in their 30s do. Traveling, going out, having fun. Then he began to feel unwell. And it started a little bit at first, and he just thought, well, maybe it's stress. So he began to see a number of doctors. And he went from doctor to doctor, complaining of weakness, complaining of pain. He was beginning to have pain in his bones at this point. And they would test him and they could demonstrate, yes, there's demonstrable muscle weakness here. To this point, he's even like walking with a cane sometimes, getting so weak to the point where he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and actually started on multiple sclerosis treatment. Despite this treatment, still doing poorly, now walking with a walker. Multiple sclerosis is on the differential diagnosis for progressive weakness. But when he started having unexplained fractures, the DDX needed rethinking. That's when the story changed, when it was just from weakness to now having bone involvement and having fractures of his long bones. And now people began to decipher, this is not multiple sclerosis. 30-year-olds do not fracture their hips with multiple sclerosis. And then they did a bone scan and found out that he had multiple fractures. He had fractures in his spine. He had fractures in his feet. He had fractures in his ribs. In fact, he had 11 fractures. At this point, before seeing Dr. John DeBurr, a different bone specialist diagnosed the patient with osteomalacia. He saw that the patient's phosphorus and vitamin D were low. Once replenished, things began to stabilize. But it still didn't make sense that such a young man would have such significant osteomalacia. This is when he was sent to see Dr. John DeBurr. He comes with a low serum phosphorus. His vitamin D level has been repleted, but his 125-hydroxyvitamin D, which is the active form of vitamin D, is inappropriately low. They've also measured his urine calcium and his urine phosphorus, and his urine phosphorus is inappropriately high, meaning that he's not reabsorbing phosphorus to the degree you would expect him to resorb phosphorus in the face of this severe hypophosphatemia. So I'm thinking, okay, we have acquired hypophosphatemia because he was fine until five years ago. He has muscle weakness, fractures. He has a biochemical profile. It looks indicative of something we call tumor-induced osteomalacia. Or TIO, where small tumors cause big problems by secreting hormones which alter the normal phosphorus and vitamin D levels in your body. The cause of this are these mesenchymal tumors. They're frequently small, but I need to do an examination to see if I can find any lumps or bumps or something that could help me make the diagnosis here in the clinic. So I'm palpating his head. 
The most common places for these tumors are in the extremities, the distal extremities, but also in the sinuses, in the oral cavity. So, you know, I'm feeling his jaw, I'm palpating in his oral cavity, I'm palpating in his neck, I'm just palpating all his glands that I can, I'm feeling his distal extremities, and I get down to his feet and he's like, my right foot has been kind of hurting, so I'm palpating his feet and he does have pain there. Dr. John Deber sent the patient for an MRI of his right foot. And the MRI comes back negative. So at this point, I realize that a physical examination is going to be very insensitive to finding these tumors. So I send him for some functional imaging. And we know that mesenchymal tumors, not necessarily only those associated with tumor-induced osteomalacia, but also those that aren't associated, express somatostatin receptors. And there's a number of imaging modalities that you can use that take advantage of these somatostatin receptors. And the one that I used was an octreotide scan. And they called me from the radiology suite and said, we see an area of uptake in the foot. I said, really? He said, the left foot. It turns out that he had pain, which was plantar fasciitis on his right foot. But then when we did an MRI of his left foot, there was a two centimeter mesenchymal tumor right at the base of the first metatarsal of his foot. And we were able to send him to surgery for a wide resection. It was removed and his biochemical abnormalities were reversed. And then he began to remineralize his bones. The patient almost immediately began to regain his strength like a proverbial dying man being given a second chance at life. I can't overstate how devastating this disorder is. And the longer people go undiagnosed, the more they progress. And it literally robs them of their life. And when you make the diagnosis and people are cured, you feel like you're witnessing Lazarus. I'm not kidding. You feel like you flash back to six months before and you look forward six months after people have either had the tumor completely removed or start treatment and you feel like you're witnessing Lazarus because people go from in a wheelchair to walking. He was able to return to work and he sent me a postcard from his honeymoon in Jamaica telling me that he was feeling great and just was thanking me for being a part of his journey and really getting him back to his life. And so it was really, really satisfying. As satisfying as that is, TIO is almost always missed on the first encounter because the presentation can be so enigmatic. A lot of times there's not corroborating objective evidence on physical examination. And so I've had people being told that they were crazy, that nothing's wrong with them. The other big reason is because hypophosphatemia is not available on routine chemistry panels. You have to think to order it. So if you don't think about it and you don't order it, people can go years before you discover that they have significant hypophosphatemia. Just like in my gentleman's situation, it's often not till they begin to break bones that people really get on the right track where someone thinks about the phosphorus, orders the phosphorus, and starts down the trail to make the diagnosis. So are there any clues to TIO that Dr. John DeBerg can offer a primary care practitioner? I think that if you see an elevated alkaline phosphatase on their chemistry panel, which a lot of people get chemistry panel, that can put you down the road that there's something going on with this person's bone. If you have the combination of bone pain and muscle weakness, again, 
that can tip you off. I think anybody that presents with complaints of muscle weakness, especially that starts in the distal lower extremities, or a lot of times people will have foot pain because they're having microfractures of their metatarsals, that should tip you off. There's an old saying amongst investigative journalists, follow the money. In medicine, it could be follow the pain. Sometimes you have to ask a couple questions because people say, I have pain. You need to ask a question like, where's the pain? Was the pain in your joints? Is it pain in your bones? Does it feel like it's in your muscles? You know, you really have to help hone in on the pain. So lower extremity pain, pain that starts in the feet and starts to descend up, pain that's also accompanied with weakness or perceived weakness. These will all be things that I think would start to tip me off. Elevated alkaline phosphatase on chemistry panel. These are things that would make me think, I need to order a phosphorus. And phosphorus is not expensive. It just takes awareness to think, hmm, so I just have a low level of ordering a phosphorus. I would say, if you ever think about, gee, this person could have low vitamin D, especially if a presentation is a little bit vexing, I would also order a phosphorus with that. But what if, like almost happened this time, you can't find the tumor? There's a newer modality called a PET Dota tape scan that seems to have much better sensitivity and specificity. And there's some literature suggesting that in about 80% or 85% of the time, we can find the tumor with that modality. So if we're fortunate enough to be able to find the tumor, we remove it. Surgical resection, complete surgical resection is the treatment of choice because people will be cured. So we want to find it, we want to resect it, we want to make sure we get it all the first time. If unfortunately we can't find it, there's a couple of medical therapies that are available. And a lot of times with medical therapy, we can at least reverse some of the disorder and get people feeling better, get them more mobile, reverse their downward course. And then we continue to look for the tumor to try to find the tumor and then resect it because surgical resection is curative. Thanks to Dr. Suzanne Jondeber for speaking with us. This is DDX, a podcast by Figure One. Figure One is an app that lets doctors share clinical images and knowledge about difficult-to-diagnose cases. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwaj, host and story editor of DDX. You can follow me on Twitter at Raj MD. Head over to figureone.com slash DDX, where you can find full show notes, photos, and speaker bios. This episode was brought to you by Ultragenics Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Thanks for listening.